Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. The last thing I ever said to my dad was a lie. I told him I was going to Cleveland for the weekend, which wasn't true at all. I was actually returning back home to Portland. This is my second visit to Ohio last summer, and just a few days before, we'd moved my dad into memory care on his 86th birthday. And this was after uh, three years of a uh, very slow, long decline, suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. And at this point in, in, in his care, um, and it become increasingly difficult, we're just managing his, his emotions at this point. And um, because he is, I mean, he is untethered from, really from present reality. And he gets easily agitated and upset because he has a vague awareness that something's wrong with him, that something's going on. My mom estimated that his memory stopped in 1949 when he was 18 years old. And everything after that is, was just gone. His entire work career, my childhood, his entire life was just gone, ended in 1949. So yeah, we, you try to, in the studies I'd done, we just tried to f figure out what is his reality right now and adapt to that, to, to, to manage those emotions. And he was already prone to anxiety in the first place um, for, most of his, for most of his life. When I was about 11 or 12 years old, we were driving to church on a Sunday evening, and we were late. My parents were in the front seat, my dad was driving, and we kids were in the back seat. Uh, in the way back of the station wagon. And uh, my dad kept looking at his watch, looking at the clock on the dashboard, and knowing that we're late, and then he would get stuck behind a slow driver or uh, miss a traffic light. And he'd keep looking at his watch and keep looking at the dashboard clock, and he'd get more and more agitated and more and more upset. And even at that young age, I realized that that's not the kind of attitude or behavior I want uh, in my life where you look at the clock, you're late, it doesn't matter if you, if you look at the clock, it doesn't change anything. And I, was, I'm, I feel glad that I realized this at a young age and then witnessed it in my dad and see this is what happens if you, if you uh, make that decision for yourself to be anxious and I was, I thrived on anticipation when I was a child and largely induced by the original Star Wars trilogy movies. <laughs> Every, th the eternity of having to wait three years between films, when, but in which time you're trying to anticipate and, and guess what are the plot, the plot developments that are going to happen, what are going to happen to these, these beloved characters. And it instilled in me this, this anticipation uh, which I still practice, but I know when I was a child, I would, you know, like collect 12 cereal box tops and send away for the Young Astronauts of America watch. And <laughs> waiting for the mail was the anticipation of that little toy to arrive or something like that. Um, but then in my adult life, too, it comes out as I love to plan uh, travel and vacations, and I need something to look forward to uh, as a major motivation in my life. And then the announcement of The Force Awakens. 
decades after the return of the Jedi, the new Star Wars movie, Episode 7, was going to come out, and I was very thrilled by this because it allowed me to anticipate again and about Star Wars. And the movie came out, and I was a little nervous, uh, wondering how much I was going to like this movie. I was at least a little... Uh, I was anticipating, of course, it was already announced that this, uh, several of the original cast members were going to be in the movie, so I was uh, really excited and made me more anxious to see it and anticipate its arrival. Sitting in the theater, I, uh, I was trying to find a connection, have an emotional connection with this movie, with these characters I'd never encountered before and some of the different environments I, I had never seen before. But then Han Solo appeared finally in, in his scene, and I was so comforted by that. To, by his, his arrival in the movie. And wow, here's a character, and he had this, the same charisma and the humor and that that he'd always had in the original movies. And I was so comforted by, this, by his presence in the movie. And then he provided that bridge to the rest of the characters so that I could now engage in this movie and, and uh, have it part of my personal canon of films. And then he's killed by his own son who shoves a lightsaber through his abdomen and lets him fall off into the reactor shaft below him. If you haven't seen the movie... <laughs> it's been two years, it's your own fault. There's already another Star Wars movie out, so you should have been caught up by now. But that experience of watching Han Solo die was so difficult for me. I, I could barely watch the rest of the movie, and I wonder, I walked home in a daze, um, sort of an unreality, and when I got home, I cried. Um, a lot of heavy, heavy, deep sobbing kind of crying, and really distraught, and I was afraid to go back and see the movie again, which I inevitably, inevitably did, of course, many times, but... And I cried every time. Sometimes I let myself cry in the theater. I got to that point. But, um, but, I, I, but, but I realized I had lost something that, that first viewing of the movie and just with that, uh, that occasion of Han Solo dying, I lost anticipation. So he, he would not be appearing in any more Star Wars movies. So that sort of took something away. And then even now seeing him come on the screen for the first time earlier in the film, I knew he was going to inevitably find his tragic end. <clears throat> About a month after we moved my dad into uh, memory care, I got the call that he was now going to start receiving hospice care and uh, in the same facility so he, at least he wouldn't have to move. Um, so I knew the end for him was, was arriving soon and I started to make my preparations for returning to Ohio for the third time last year. Um, while doing that, it prompted me to, to look through some of the photos that he had taken of our family and our lives over the course of his life, the many vacations we took every year, the birthdays and all those celebrations and the documentation he provided for us. He was a traditionalist in, in, the, in that sense. He, um, 
He went to work. He fulfilled his obligations as he understood them. Um, and he was, he was a loving father. Um, we still had some difficulties as a family just in the, the share, uh, expressing emotions and things like that. We were a Catholic Midwest family, so we weren't always affectionate and like that. But although that grew over the years, um, and we became more affectionate and comfortable with sharing our emotions with one another. And looking at these photos again, though, and some of, many of them were us. Most of them were from us because he was mostly behind the camera. But then when there were occasions when, I, when there were photos of him, and I realized he's, he's just a guy. He's this, this silly, goofy dad. Um, and now he's facing or he's experienced these last three years just the tragedy of Alzheimer's and dementia. And, of course, you have those thoughts like, or I have those thoughts like, of course he doesn't deserve that. There was nothing um, remarkable about his life, but there was nothing um, in his experience or in his behavior that would ever imagine or guess. Like, here's this guy in this photo, and this is the man who's going to lead this tragic end to his life. And it was so unlike Con Solo. He... <laughs> this is a very poignant moment, apparently. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. It's right there. I have to say something nice. Heroes die in a dramatic... I can't see anybody anymore. Um, heroes die in a very dramatic, but in a very fast way. And, it's, uh, and there's a poignancy to it, or, or there's something in it that really grabs you and makes you cry. And then real people often, like my dad, have a long, drawn-out, difficult, and painful death that doesn't get made and turned into films or... Uh, described in, 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 many, in many ways, but that's how a, lot of, how a lot of people in real life find their end. And then there was one photo in particular of my dad at the beach, uh, one of our vacations in one of the Carolinas, uh, with his, his yellow swim trunks and his shirt off, and he has this big goofy grin on his face, and I thought, oh my God. He, I have the exact same body that my dad had, with the sort of droopy shoulders and the love handles, uh, the same pattern of chest hair, uh, the big toothy wide grin, and, and then, oh my God, I have the same silly, goofy, dorky sense of humor that he has. Um, but I also have a lot, of, so a lot of great qualities that he also exhibited. Um, he liked to hike off trail as well. Um, he liked to tell jokes and laugh and, um, and socialize with people and uh, just e experience his family and things like that. And then I thought, oh my God, do I have, however, do I have his brain? Am I looking at Alzheimer's and dementia in the future or his heart trouble, his strokes, his bad back and things like that? And again, uh, I don't expect to have a, a heroic, quick end to my life. But do I have the potential to have a long-suffering, slow decline like he had? So I finished my preparations for returning to Ohio. 
I packed my bag and I packed a set of clothes for a funeral because I knew that's what was going to happen. And I arrived, I took the shuttle straight from the airport straight to his uh, memory care assisted living facility. And I walked into the room and the the scene was, um, my dad was lying, uh, lying in his, reclined in his bed, his eyes closed, his mouth open. In the time since I got the, the, the call about his hospice care and my arrival, he had stroked out um, and essentially went into a coma. So um, he was unconscious from that moment and, and um, most of the time during my, during my travel when I was on my way back to Ohio. So I walked in through him. He was lying in his bed like that. There are a few hospital care workers there. The hospice assistant was there, a couple of my mom's friends, and then she was sitting in a chair next to his bed sobbing. And even at that point, I mean, I, I, I knew I was going there essentially for her, and that's really how I had been for several months already. It was helping her manage the care. He'd only been in, in assisted live in this memory care for a month. She had been taking care of him for three years. So most of the times I visited and were providing support were for her um, until she just couldn't take it anymore and finally agreed to, take, to let him go into assisted living. So I was there with her, and I immediately went to her and held her hand and, and cried with her and comforted her. And only in that, in our discussion there in that moment did I realize my dad had already passed. Um, just, re- just earlier that morning, I was probably in the shuttle on the way to the hospital when that happened. There was no, I didn't receive a ripple through the force that let me know that it happened, um, but it had. <clears throat> and I think back to that month before when I had said goodbye to him, which ended up being for the last time, I said, I'm going to Cleveland to visit some friends for the weekend. I'll see you on Monday. And he said, Cleveland? It was the silliest thing you'd ever heard before. Why would you go to Cleveland? I don't know. His memory of Cleveland was, I guess, from 1949 when it was probably a shithole or something. He couldn't imagine going to Cleveland. But I had to say something to make the exit comfortable for him so he wouldn't get upset and stressed about it. And a few moments later, he'd already forgotten, of course, so I said it again. I'm going to Cleveland for the weekend to visit some friends, and I'll be back on Monday. Cleveland? (laughs) The exact same, this exasperation in his voice, the surprise of, why would you go there? But he accepted it, and he was comfortable with with that explanation. So he stood up from his chair in his room and he shook my hand and looked me in the eye and he said, have a good trip. He knew my, he still knew my name. I am sure he didn't know our relationship or who I was in relation to him. I'm sure he didn't know I was his son, but he knew that we had a relationship and a comfort there. And that, that last moment we had together when he was alive, the lie, of course, I realized was for his own good, but it also provided him with humor 
uh, a, a moment of humor in the midst of all the suffering he was experiencing. That was what it was about. Is I was always trying to find just one thing to make him laugh, even briefly, because he would forget it, so we'd have to find something more in another minute. But still, um, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that the last moment we had together was laughter and, and uh, something positive, and even if he had forgot it, forgotten it. The only thing I regret is I didn't get to tell him about my weekend in Cleveland. Thank you.